Thank you, Wayne. And just commend Wayne and the team for doing such a great job in being good stewards of the the leadership of this fantastic church. And it's an absolute joy to be here again. There's just way too many things on here and there's absolutely zero chance of me not knocking at least 50% of them off. So I think we'll we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, I'm... Can, can you manually change? Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to talk the, this morning about what it means to be a community of hope. Hope is a, a beautiful thing. I, I've never met a human being that doesn't crave hope to the core of their being. Um, I, I dare say in this room there's people at all different stages of their spiritual journey. We're not just physical beings with a spiritual element. We are deeply spiritual beings, human beings. There's a beautiful complexity to who we are and what our needs are. But I've never met a human being that doesn't derive pleasure and enjoyment and crave hope. Particularly for those of us that live in worlds that are broken, bloody and unjust. And for those of us that you have lived so far in this life and you haven't had pain and suffering, well, I'm just really thankful for your life. And I think I would dare say that everyone in this room has experienced the joy but also the desperation of this life. And we crave hope. And we want to talk about what it means for us to be a community of hope because I believe if there was a phrase that encapsulates what the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be, it is to be a community of hope. And there's lots of other phrases that you can hear out there that would define what the church is, but I believe that they are insufficient for the radical vision that we read in the Scriptures about what the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be. So hope is a foundational, uh, foundational human experience, whether you're Christian or not. When I was, uh, like most preachers, some of my formative years were in my teenage years. And um, so the 1990s was a big year, big, big uh, decade for me. And so I just wanted to put up a couple of slides from the 1990s. Two iconic movies from the 1990s, both from the same year, I believe. One is Dumb and Dumber and one is The Shawshank Redemption. Um, I, that, I don't know why both of them missed out on Oscars, but I don't know. Um, but there's this great scene where Lloyd Christmas is asking his dream girl, you know, are you telling me there's a chance for us to have a relationship? And, 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 and then he's saying, is it one in a hundred? And then, and then she says, more like one in a million. And he looks at her and he said, so you're telling me there's a chance? And um, I remember when, <clears throat> you know, some, some of us guys, we need a bit of hope. Can I hear an amen? Um, I remember when I was single and ready to mingle and I'd been single for a very, very long time and I had this girl called Nikki Vasilakis that I was really interested in and she had turned me down once and then the second time I asked her out, she basically said, you know, not only do I see you like a brother, which is just kind of, no one wants to hear that, um, and then she's like, I want you to be open to, you know, looking for other girls, or, you know, like don't just put your hope in me. See if there's another girl out there for you because I don't want you to put all your hope in this relationship. And then combined with the I see you as a brother, it nearly snuffed out any hope that I had. But thankfully, I held on to the glimmer that there might be a chance. Um, or as I used to say in 
New South Wales chance back then before I got converted to the way of South Australia by saying chance. And then Shawshank Redemption, there's this beautiful scene with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman where Morgan Freeman says hope is a dangerous thing. Hope is a dangerous thing. And for some of us in this room, you've given up hope. You've given up hope for your own life. You've given up hope for your kids. You've given up hope for your relationship. You've given up hope for change. And so what you do is you just survive on what is because the pain of having hope and hope being futile is too much. Do you know what I mean? When you hope for something to happen and it doesn't come true, it can break us as human beings. I want to read a scripture, and this scripture is all about, for me, this is all about what the Christian vision of hope is all about. And I'm not going to preach much from it until the end of the message, so I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, But I just want to start by reading it, and then we'll unpack it at the end of the message. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And that's that phrase, hope does not put us to shame, is very important. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. And that's really what I want to unpack. What does it mean to live lives as individuals, as families, as a community of faith that we hope in such a way that we will not one day be ashamed? Other translations say hope will not disappoint if you've been disappointed a lot, I believe that the Lord Jesus wants to give us a vision for our lives and a vision for the church that will not put us to shame and will not disappoint. The ironic thing about our culture is more and more people in a a culture like Australia, in a city like Adelaide, people are losing hope. More and more people are pessimistic about their prospects for the future and the future of not just individuals but civilization as a whole. The amazing thing is that nearly everything in our world in the last 200 years has got better. This is a radical idea that I know might be news to some of us, but the objective truth or the objective facts, I should say, are that our world is so much better than what it was 200 years ago. I've just got a chart up here. If you can put the chart up there. This is if the world was 100 people 200 years ago, extreme poverty, those that would live on under $2 a day. So that video we saw about Operation Christmas Child, a number of those children are living on under $2 a day. That is what the United Nations would describe as someone experiencing absolute poverty. Okay, so or extreme poverty. So the number of people experiencing extreme poverty in the last 200 years has literally fallen off a cliff. Basic education has gone through the roof. Literacy levels, particularly literacy of girls, has gone up exponentially. Democracy, the numbers of democracies around the world has gone up a lot, although that's got a long way to go. And some would argue that might in the last five years, ten years, has actually started declining. Um, Vaccination rates has gone through the roof. And so there was children dying of diseases even decades ago that are not dying pretty much anywhere in the world today. Child mortality. The number of children uh, surviving their first uh, five years of life 
It is amazing. In 1820, uh, look at the stats. It was nearly 50% of children died before the age of five around the world. And look at it today. Just take yourself out of your own lived experience and say, the world objectively is not getting worse, it's getting better. But do you know what? In all of the surveys, every country in the world, if countries like Australia are reporting more and more pessimism and they believe that the world is getting worse. People's hope and people's vision does not match the facts. So what does this mean? While nearly everything's getting better, I believe that many of us in this room and many in our culture, we are aware of what is not getting better. Hope for the future. Hope for the future of our kids. The quality of relationships. Our ability to live life in such ways that we develop character. That we become better people and not more selfish people. Rates of uh, mental health conditions are going through the roof right around the world in developing countries and developed countries. Um, Japan has been labelled the... Uh, where, where is it? Japan has been labelled as the most lonely nation in the world. And there are, there's this phenomenon of more and more people dying on their own and not being found for weeks and even months at a time. And the interesting thing in Japan at the moment is that it's not just, say, the elderly that are dying alone. It is young people and middle-aged people that people are so disconnected and they are connected by technology alone. And so people are essentially becoming living in disembodied relationships and people are getting isolated and feeling alone, even though the world is apparently getting so much better. So in the midst of a crisis of hope, I think this is a crisis of hope because we should be filled with more hope. We should be excited. We should be enthusiastic that the world's getting better, but there's a sense that there's something in the human heart and there's something in the way we relate to one another and there's something about the quality. And and, and you know what? Things can get better, but our experience and our sense of personal prosperity and our sense of I am happy and I am joyful, it's really interesting when you see some of the most joyful uh, countries in the world, they are not some of the most prosperous economically. And I don't know if you've been just driving in traffic around Christmas time, but there's a lot of grumpy, prosperous people in nice cars. Just yesterday, there was so much road rage in the lead up to the grand final. It's just like people go feral. It's like, you know, at Christmas time, once it clicks over December 1, just people get angry on the roads. And like the, mate, those mummers that are doing their shopping for Christmas and they've got their two trolleys, oh, just get out of their way. Just get out of their way. And, and, and I just feel the anxiety levels. And yesterday, mate, I got, I got two people give me road rage and honk me because they, obviously they were running late to their grand final party. Not my issue. So in the midst of the crisis of hope, things are getting better, but our hearts seem more cold. Our prosperity is increasing, but our relationships are more disconnected. What is the role of this local church and the church of Jesus Christ? I think there's two visions, two answers that the church has traditionally come up with that are incomplete. Number one, a vision of prosperity. Hallelujah. Some of you would be like, that cathedral, that's my ideal church. Some of you are like, yep, that 
auditorium, that's like my mega church. Some of you are like Blackwood High School, that's like my dream auditorium. Um, can I hear an amen? No. Um, all right. So this is what the Christian church has done. When people are lacking hope, the church comes along and they say, we have the answers. We have a vision for faith and hope and love and we have the power of God. And so we are going to preach a message of health and wellness and happiness and spiritual well-being and physical well-being. And if you give your life to Jesus, everything will be different. And for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, we realise that happiness if it's the goal of life, you'll never receive it. But if you realise that happiness is a byproduct of knowing who you are and you knowing who God is and knowing who you are in Christ, that you receive the happiness. But if we as a church say it's all about beauty, it's all about the aesthetics, it's all about we can promise your best life now and you can escape pain and suffering. Let me tell you that there's suffering and pain for all human beings and the vision of prosperity it's not completely untrue, but it's also not completely true. Are you with me? So in the midst of hope, we can't overpromise people that if you give your life to Christ and if you connect in with a local church, you are just going to have harmonious relationships. You are going to have financial prosperity. You are never going to be sick again because our hope is not just in what we see today. But there's another Christian vision that I think a lot of churches throughout history have communicated, and I think it's a vision of poverty. I went to a church the other, day, the other week. Where was I? Oh, I did a wedding in a church and I tried to sit in the, the pews. In the, in the, and mate, it makes you sit so straight that I dare anyone to fall asleep in a sermon in one of those chairs. It's almost like we are going to build chairs to make people suffer as much as they can while they're sitting under the Word of God. And mate, it was so uncomfortable. And, and the, the vision we have of the church in The Simpsons is really a church that is to be endured, not enjoyed, because the enjoyment comes when? When we die. So Christianity is all about sucking it up, doing the right thing, and putting off pleasure and enjoyment and hope for today because our hope is in the future. We preach a message of suffering and toil and the goal is to remain authentic and pure in a broken world with the hope of life after death. And I think that is actually partially true, but it's not the full picture. So what's the solution? What must we do? Our calling as a church and as God's people is to be not just a community of prosperity and not a community of poverty, but a community of hope. Hope in the good times and hope in the bad. It's not a community that ignores or diminishes the brokenness, evil and tragedy in our world, but one that acknowledges and speaks hope in uh, that there is a time coming when, in the words of Tolkien, all sad things will be made untrue. But our hope is not just in the future that we have to suck it up and suffer. It is a living hope for today. Not just suffer in silence and endure. The Christian hope is one that lives and breathes, breathes and permeates into the now so we're changed in the midst even of our broken lives today. And so the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ is even if your experience is one of poverty and suffering, there is hope not just for the future but for today because God is with you in the midst of your pain. That is the Christian hope. 
This is what it means to be a community of hope. Hope for spiritual transformation. Hope to be part of a family in a community where you can belong. Hope for a purpose to bring life to our dead bones. Hope that we can be part of something bigger than ourselves. Hope that our lives can actually matter and not just make mistakes of chance. That scripture in Romans 5 that we read before, it gives us some pictures of what a community hope might look like. It says a few things. It said one, that we have peace with God. If you want to have hope in this life, you don't just need peace in relationships. You need to know that you have peace with the transcendent God of the universe. That the God of the universe is at peace with you. Number two, it also says that we rejoice because of the hope we have in God. And number three, it says we are not disappointed or we will not be ashamed by the hope we have. So if hope is a good thing and if we're just like, okay, we're Christians, we should have hope because the Bible says that we have hope because of Jesus, then why don't we live with hope? The text says we won't be disappointed or put to shame. But the problem is that's not always easy. How many people know that just something because the Bible says something doesn't mean it feels true? And just because the Bible says something, it doesn't mean it's easy to live out. There's so many reasons why you and I in this room can get cynical, worn down and sceptical that things will never really change. We've seen how people let us down. We've seen how we let ourselves down and we mess up. Some of you have hope for other people. I remember my dad many years ago, he said to me, Tim, I have hope for your future, but I don't have much hope for myself. He was going through a real dark time in his life. Sometimes you can have hope for other people, but you just get disappointed with yourself where you feel like, no, my plight is always just to be plodding in the space where I am and nothing will radically change. So how do we lose heart? I'm going to get to the Bible in a little bit. Why do we lose heart? First of all, we get so disappointed by lost hope. Some of us put hope in football teams. Can you just put a slide up? I support a team in the NRL and the AFL. And in my whole lifetime, I have experienced one premiership in each of these teams. And sometimes I just ask the question, is the pain worth it? So much pain, so much suffering, so much anguish. But there's so much more pain than joy. In fact, sometimes I just feel a little bit of relief when my team gets bundled out early because it means I can actually enjoy the rest of the games because I don't enjoy it. In fact, my kids and people that see me, um, sometimes they lose a lot of respect for me when they see how involved I get with my sport. And I just sometimes I just think it's just not worth it. That's why we lose heart. Some of us lose heart because of tragedy and loss. Some of us lose heart because of disappointment. Some of us have a marriage that's in trouble or has ended. Some of us lose heart because of hypocrisy. One of my favourite artworks is this picture by George Frederick Watts. It's called Hope and it was painted in 1886. This is the picture that changed the course. It's an influential picture in the course of history. In fact, there was a preacher called Jeremiah Wright that preached a sermon on this in the 1980s in the south side of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago and he, he was preaching a message about Hannah and he was preaching about this artwork called Hope and the message was called The Audacity of Hope and he talked about this woman that was 
this painting, it depicts a, a harpist, a woman who at first glance appears to be sitting atop a great mountain until you take a closer look and see that the woman is bruised and bloodied, dressed in tattered rags, the harp reduced to a single frayed string. Your eyes drawn down to the scene below, down to the valley where, and this is the world, where everything is in ravages of famine, drumbeat of war, the world groaning under strife and deprivation. That's the world on which, and the artist calls this woman, hope. The world on which hope sits is broken and she is broken, bloodied, and all she has is a harp with one string. And yet consider once again the painting before um, Jeremiah Wright said, hope like Hannah, that harpist, is looking upwards, a few faint tones floating upwards towards heaven. She dares to hope. She has the audacity to make music, to praise God on the one string she has left. This is a vision of hope that a woman that looks like she's bloodied and broken and lost and she has nothing left except an instrument with one string. What is she doing with her one string? She has the audacity to play music over the world and unto God. It is a vision of hope. It looks ridiculous. It looks like, why don't you just give up woman? And that's what hope is. Hope has the audacity to believe even when things get dark because you understand where the story is going. You understand the bigger picture. You understand that even if you've got one string to play, that that song resounds and that song connects and that song makes a difference. And when he preached that message, it was a young man who at that point was not a Christian. He walked into that service and he left. And from that point on, he identified as a Christian. And his name is Barack Obama. And that service, he got baptized shortly after that, and he that serve and, and his first book was called The Audacity of Hope. Because this message, the audacity to speak to darkness and to see the world as it is and say, This is not the way it is. And even if I've only got a one-string instrument, I will play it and I will try to create a tune that will change things. This is what hope looks like. What is the string? I want to ask you, what is the string we can play when we have nothing left? What is that we can all unite around as people of God so that no matter whether we're rich or poor, young or old, we get to play the same tune? What does it look like to be a community that plays the song of hope when there's nothing left? And this is when we get to the text. Because Jesus is the answer to our problem. If you have a hope problem, You can try to fill it with the relationships and you can try to change the circumstances of your life. But the hope problem in your life is answered by Jesus. He was forsaken so that you wouldn't be. He was condemned so that you wouldn't be. He was perfect because he knew that you wouldn't be. Jesus is the answer to our problem. His life and death and resurrection, they are the tune we play when we've got nothing else to play. When we have nothing else, we do not sing about the confidence we have in ourselves. We do not have... We do not sing of the confidence we have in the Hills Christian Family Centre. When we have nothing left, we say, we sing about Jesus. We sing that God has come to us and that God has shown us that He is for us and not against us and He loves us and He died on a cross in our place on our behalf. And then He rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and evil. So when I see sin and when I see death and when I see evil, I say, because Christ has risen and overcome the grave, death is not the end. 
Because if you do not have an understanding and, 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 and a song and, and something that's true and beautiful and eternal to hold on to, what hope do we have with death? What hope do we have when we see the evil and depravity in our world? That Jesus is the answer. He is the song we play. And when we play and we, we, when we call out to Him, that is what we hold on to and we have nothing left. Romans 5.1, point number one. Because of Jesus... Hope is grounded in reality, not wishful thinking. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why we can have hope? It's because hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not, do you know how many funerals I've been to where it's, we would like to think, that this person is in a better place. We would like to think that there is a spiritual dimension, but we just don't know. For me as a Christian, it gives me so much hope to know that God has shown himself through Jesus. And the objective truth for me as a Christian is that my hope is in that I have already been made right in the sight of a holy God because of Jesus. This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Because of what God has done for me in my place through Jesus, I am made right in the sight of a holy God and he has embraced me and loved me and forgiven me and made me right in his sight. And every other world religion talks about what we must do to be made right in God's sight, what we must do to appease the gods, what we must do to align with the way of the holy or the transcendent. But as Christians, we say why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That I was dead, but Christ made me alive. And so as a Christian, this is finished work, finished past tense. Since we have been justified, made right in God's sight through faith, We have peace with God. Why do I have hope? Because my future eternity is secured. It is finished. Even if I behave like a rat bag, what God has done for me and my identity as a child of God doesn't change. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace, it doesn't just mean, it's not like just this, oh, I feel like at one with the universe and I just feel very relaxed. The, the Greek word for peace here, it's more like peace from war. And each of us, why don't we have hope? Because there's war in our life. There's war between us and other people. There's war between cultures. There's war between liberals and labour. There's war between Republicans and Democrats. There's war between conservatives and liberals. There's war, there's hostility, there's war in our own heart. And God says, you have peace with me. The God of the universe, he is not angry and at war with you. You are united with him. So your hope is not just wishful thinking. It is the most real thing to actually believe that the God of the universe is not angry with you. He is for you and he has made you right in his sight. Therefore, you can have hope. Number two, because of Jesus, we have a status that overcomes our circumstance. Romans 5.2, through whom you have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It talks about because of Christ, we haven't just received God's tolerance 
It's not like God says, I will tolerate you even though you're a rat bag. And it doesn't just say God will allow you to enter into his kingdom if you do everything perfect. What it says is that because of what Christ has done, we have been made right in God's sight. In Ephesians 1, it says we have been adopted into His family. It says we've received the spirit of sonship. We become adopted into God's family. Romans 5.2, we have now gained access by faith into His grace by which we now stand. What it means is that grace is not just something that God hands out. Wayne, you having a rough day? Let me give you some grace. Let me give you some grace. Let me give you some grace. No, no, grace is the new realm by which you live. And so if you're a Christian, you don't need handouts for God. You have a new identity. You are surrounded by God's grace. You are surrounded by the favour of God. And so there's this sense that your destination and your proximity to God has changed forever. You are not far from God asking God, please give me hope that you are actually right with God and that He has changed the environment of your life and so that His grace and grace is God's loving kindness, God's extension of His favour that you don't deserve, that you don't have to say, God, give me your loving kindness that right here where I am today, even if my circumstances are crummy, I am a recipient of your grace. I am a child of God and I am going to claim that because this is who I am. I stand in your grace. I don't crave it, I stand in it. We have a status that overcomes our circumstance. Number three, because of Jesus, we can have hope even in the darkest times. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. I wonder if I was to survey everyone in this room, what were the circumstances in your life that made you a better woman, that made you a better man? I'm willing to bet the things that have made you more loving, more humble, more sacrificial have been the most painful things. I know people that have been completely self-orientated until something happened to their life and it broke them and it's just like, man, I just, the whole filter and the whole orientation of my life changes. For some people, it's when you become a parent. For some people, it's when you go through sickness or you lose someone that you love and you realise, wow, I need to reassess my value system. I need to reassess what kind of woman, what kind of man I want to be. Because of Jesus, we can have hope even in the darkest times. I think Timothy Keller said it this way, that no matter what valley you're in, because of who Jesus is, that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us and he walked on this world and he taught us how to live and he died a criminal's death on the cross and he was forsaken on that cross. Because of what God has done in Jesus, no matter what you're going through, physical health, emotional health, whether there's relational issues going on, no matter what you're going through, I can make two promises because of Jesus. God cares about what you're going through. We might not always agree with the way God does it, but you can't say God doesn't care because if God doesn't care, why would he choose the path of Jesus? God willingly entered into flesh, depth, depravity. He was forsaken even by his closest friends. He was rejected. He was betrayed. 
He was alone. Why did God do that? I, I believe you can't say God doesn't care about your suffering. You can't say that. And the other thing that you can't say is that God doesn't know your suffering. There's a lot of things that you don't know. But I believe that you can know that God knows your pain and God cares about your suffering. And so your suffering sucks. The evil in this world is not good. It's evil. It's called evil for a reason. It's bad. But God is going to use the situation you find yourself in and he is going to derive good from it and he is going to grow you to become a better man or a better woman as a result of it. That's the Christian vision of hope. It's not to ignore what is. It's to put what is in a cosmic vision of eternity and say what is is not the final story. Because of what God has done, I have been made right in God's sight and I have the peace of God and I have a hope for the future. So my vision of today is shaped by what has gone on in the past and what he has secured in my future. I remember there's even two years ago, I just want to tell everyone here, there was dreams that I had for my life. Dreams of one day planting a church. Dreams of my, my son being able to go to a mainstream school. All sorts of dreams I had for my life that I had given up hope on because of the circumstance of what my family was going through at the time. Now, sometimes the circumstances don't change. But sometimes we have to cling on with all we have. When we launched our church uh, five weeks ago, I just had to pinch myself that I, I actually couldn't believe that we got to the point as a family of being able to step out and plant a, a new church. Um, you know, it was only more than two and a half years ago, three years ago, that my wife for 18 months didn't sit through one service of church because my kids couldn't go into any kids program. So how do you actually launch a church if you can't leave your kids? And just being stressed all the time, day upon day, um, I think... I think there was whole months where probably Nikki cried every day because of just how hard things were at home. And I probably cried less than that, but more regularly than what I should. And we were just holding on. And sometimes as Christians, that's what you do. You just hold on. But do you know what? As we're a community of hope, if you're just holding on, that's not what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. You're just holding on, but you also just don't just hold on, oh, I have to survive. But no, no, I have to survive, but God also has good things for my future. That I can actually be a person of hope. That I believe that even in the midst of where I am, that God will derive good, even if it's not the good that I expect and I hope for in my own timing. So only now can we change. It's got to be more than wishful thinking. It's got to be more than saying, I hope things are better at home, I hope things are better at church. I hope things are better in my private life. How do I know I'm not going to get disappointed? How do I know that I can be a man or woman of hope? Because of verse 5. Let's read this. And hope does not put us to shame. How do we know that our hope is in something 
valuable and it won't shame us. We won't be embarrassed because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Because God's love has been poured out and given to us by His Spirit, He doesn't just change our behaviour, He changes the orientation of our heart from trust in self to trust in Him. As a church, as an individual, as a couple, it doesn't matter who you are, I believe that God wants you to be a person of hope where you say, I will not trust in myself, I will not lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge Him and I will trust that His best is better than my best because God's love has been poured into your heart, not just through a sermon, not just through a text, but through the person of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just change you from the outside in. He changes your heart, what you love, what you value, what you see through the mind of faith. We may not be perfect and it may not be easy, but I believe that as Christians, we need to bet everything on the one who said, I will give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. If you're thirsty here this morning, Jesus hung out at a well with a really thirsty woman. She thought she was thirsty for actual water. But he said, this water that you drink You'll be thirsty again, but I want to give you something deeper, something more profound. It's going to give you life and it's going to be like a perpetual spring. And if you find life and hope and truth in me, you will never be thirsty again. You can keep on going back to Jesus and he will give you that living water. I wonder if you don't hope in the one that can give you living water, if you don't hope for the life giver who died and rose again, who do you hope in? What hope do we have? The early Christians used a secret code. If you put the fish up, ichthus. It was a way to communicate with each other in the Roman Empire that they were, in a, they were different in a world where their very existence could lead to torture or death. Their hope was not in just escaping the world. Their hope was not in politics, power or prosperity. Their hope was in the person of Jesus. Whenever they drew this little fish, the Greek word for fish is ichthus, means Jesus Christ, God's son, saves. The Christians did not going around saying, we are going to take over the empire. We are going to get lots of money and we're going to build the biggest houses. We are never going to be sick again. We are going to have the best marriages. We are going to be the most successful. They also didn't go around saying, woe is us. We have the worst lives and we just have to suffer and grind it out until we die and then we get to go to paradise. No, no, that is not the vision of the early Christians. The vision of the early Christians, the heart of their gospel was Jesus, the Messiah, is God's Son in the flesh and He saves us. He brings liberty. And he is the reason for their hope in the midst of persecution, death and torture. Their hope was not in things or circumstances. It was in the person of Jesus, the one who had secured their hope and was giving them strength to hope in both now and in the future. Let us pray. Father, I pray for every person here that you will help us to be a community of hope. That you will help us as individuals to not just go from day to day, week to week, month to month, meandering through life. That we will become men and women of conviction. 
that we will choose to believe by faith that Jesus Christ, God's Son, saves. That as we stand here today, that we don't just hope for the approval of God, that we can stand here knowing that we have been set free and made right in the sight of God already because of the finished work of Christ. And we have received the Holy Spirit into our life and He is just pouring love into our hearts, the love of God flowing through us for others. So even when we feel dry, even though we feel empty, the love of God is poured into our hearts so that we can have hope even in the dark times. May we be as a church, may we have hope for others. May we show others that we are not different because we've got our life together, but we are different because of who we are betting our lives on, who we are clinging to when we've got nothing else to cling to. That is why we are different. We are not better, but we are grateful. May we be a community of hope. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? Can I just invite you actually, just to close your eyes. We're going to, the service is just finishing just around the corner. But can I just invite you all to close your eyes? And I just believe this is a message for, for everyone in this room, whether you're a Christian or not. God wants you to have hope. And hope isn't just because of circumstantial change. It's not just because things are easy or things are bad. Hope is because the God who sees the whole picture, the God that was and is and is to come, He is your Creator and He knows you and He just invites you to trust Him. So if you're in this room, you might have been a Christian for 20 years or it doesn't matter. If you just need God's love to touch your heart, God's love to be poured out afresh, maybe it's a fresh experience of His love so that you will be able not just to survive, but to have hope in the circumstances that you're going through. Just as we've got our heads bowed and eyes closed, put your hand up. I just want to pray God's blessing for you and pray for hope to rise up within you. Put your hands up now and just leave them up for a moment and then I'll invite you to put it down. Just hands up. Yep. Yep. Okay. I just want to pray for all you precious people. You know, God loves you. That's that's the message of the Gospel, that God loves us more than we love Him. And even His Spirit right now, the Holy Spirit of God is softening our hearts. He's reminding us that we are welcome. He's reminding us that we are home. He's reminding us that we belong and that we are not a disappointment to Him. Lord God, I pray for these folks to put their hand up. I just pray that the love of God will be poured into hearts by Your Spirit. Right now, we just open our hearts, we open our hands and we say, God, we want to know You as You are, our Creator, our Sustainer. You are powerful, but You are also the God that has done it for us in our place on our behalf. We hand over our anxieties, we hand over our circumstances and we say, God, bring the hope of the Gospel into my circumstance. May I just not know about Your goodness, but may I know Your goodness. May I not just know about Your grace and Your mercy, but may I experience it in my life. God, even in the midst of the struggles that I'm going through, 
I want to be used by you to show people that today is not the end, that what we see through the eyes of of the physical is not the final word, that sin and death and evil are not the final word, that there is a greater truth, there is a greater life and that God has come to save the day and He has secured our lives and He died on a cross, but He rose again. And so we believe that there is hope beyond the grave and we believe that there is hope for today. So right now we receive your hope. We receive your love. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your grace. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Let's just worship Him together.